This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. I had a miracle this week. I survived my biometric exam at the little clinic. Um, It's my least favorite day of the entire year. I despise it. I hate it. Uh, My wife said, don't forget to do your biometric screening. And so I will prolong it as long as possible because I have told myself that one week of eating well will make up for 51 weeks (laughs) of being a complete fool. (laughs) Surely I can drop 80 pounds in four days. This won't be a problem. My cholesterol will be great. Uh, But we went and by God's grace, the the, the nurse practitioner was kind. Because you've, you've maybe bumped into medical professionals who have what we call a terrible bedside manner. You guys ever experienced that? A doctor and they're just not, they're just, there's something, of, there's an abrasiveness there. I've had the privilege of being under the care of multiple physicians over my 40 some years. And there was one guy, I mean, we called him little Napoleon. His staff called him that because, I mean, he was little. And this is not about little, but, but he, he would never make eye contact with you. He would always look down at the ground and just abrasive. Uh, I had come to his, not because I was looking for a physician. I need a prescription for medicine. I needed some steroids. I would get this habit of getting violently sick before Easter. Just all the prep and the stress, and I would abuse myself. And so I, I needed a script. He says, well, while you're here, let's get some measurements. And I'm like, I just want your drugs. That's, I, I, don't, I don't want anything else from you. Just give me my Z-Pack and let me go home. No, and so he starts measuring things. He says, you're morbidly obese. And I'm like, you're going to die. Uh, <laughs> it was a good run. But you've had physicians who aren't kind, who aren't nice, and you've had some that are, right? You've had some that, that, that genuinely kind people. Uh, I got my, by my biometric, they did, here's your cholesterol. Cholesterol's okay, Paul. Uh, you're under the number that we like. Totally kind of work on this a little bit. Um, blood pressure um, is, is in a good range. He looks and says, do you like carbs? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Never. No, I don't like carbs at all. <laughs> Of course I like carbs. But he could have said it in a way, right? Like he was trying to connect. He's trying to spur me on to make healthy choices. He could say, hey, fatty, you like the carbs? But he didn't do that, did he? No, no. He says, hey, um, you like carbs? Like, <laughs> a little bit. I'm working on it. I'm working. I got an accountability partner. And, you know, uh, so we get together and eat donuts and talk about carbs. <laughs> Bedside manner matters, doesn't it? It really does. It helps, helps can really help um, swallow whatever pill needs to be shared with you. Believers have a bedside manner. Did you know that? And in fact, in our notes, let's get started there this morning. Would you write that down, please? Even if you're watching online, um, maybe find a place to write that down. Believers, believers have bedside manners. A way that you interact with a sick, hurting, dying world. Doctor has a bedside manner. 
and it can completely change and alter your ability to receive their care, can't it? But aren't you entrusted with the greatest medicine in all of mankind? Aren't you given access to and knowledge of what hurts and ails every crying soul? So let me ask you, how's your bedside manner? What would the world say if they filled out one of those fun little surveys after the fact? How would they comment on how you interact with them? Believers have a bedside manner. Why don't we talk about that this morning? Why don't we spend a little time reflecting on that reality? We've been in a series unpacking a very important word in the Bible, agape. It means neighborly devotion. In your Bibles, it's often translated as love. But that's not real helpful in our culture in our time because there's something wrong with the word if you can say, I love pepperoni pizza, I love my dog, and I love my wife. That's, there's something wrong with that word. It's not doing what it needs to do. But in the Bible, words are very specific. And agape is very important. God is a God of agape. He is devoted to the other. God goes across the street. God is a good neighbor. He goes across town. He goes across the country. God will go. He will bridge the gap. No matter who the other might be. We are learning how to be the same, to live that type of love, neighborly devotion. The Apostle Paul said that life flows from, from God through us to others. A sincere faith, a devotion to God. I make my relationship with him a priority. I let him pour into me and I share with him. We have a walking with a sincere faith. We talked about that our very first week. I am concerned and mindful of my heart, a pure heart. How I deal with sin, how I reconcile and walk with God in relationship and others. My heart matters. The, the health of my heart matters, spiritually speaking. And a good conscience, my capacity to reach others. Not compromise, but go where love, God's love needs to go. A few weeks ago, we talked about what a life without love is. It's empty. There's nothing to it. There's of no value in it. Your words don't mean anything. Your actions don't mean anything. Your ministry doesn't mean anything. Your life is empty. If you are not giving yourself over to practicing God-like love, agape, your life has no value in what God is trying to do right now. And then last week, we began to look at the qualities, actually the actions of what agape is. We first said that agape waits patiently. It was fun for me to interact with some of you or hear about some of you interacting as we talked about how well we wait patiently with others or don't or working on it. So let's continue this week and looking at the next word in that passage. We're in the book of 1 Corinthians. That's in the New Testament. If you take out a Bible, Carmen, we'll have verses up on the screen, some of them as we look at them together. There are Bibles located in the seat in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, you're free to have that. It's our gift to you. The print's really small, uh, so maybe you don't want that and you just want to go get your own or remember where yours is. Um, 
1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Love is patient and, what's the word? Kind. Let's talk about kind today. We're actually going to take two of the terms from this passage and contrast them together. Our big idea in your notes. Let's all write it down together. Agape shows kindness. Let's write that down. Agape shows kindness. Neighborly devotion shows kindness. It waits patiently. It shows kindness. It's an action word. It's not really is kind. It shows kindness. It's seen externally. Someone who is showing kindness, you hear it in their voice. You'll see it in their eyes. And how they hold their hands. How they carry their body. They show kindness. It is the gospel in bodily form. What's baptism? Baptism is the gospel in liquid form. What's the Lord's table, which we're going to celebrate in a little bit? This is the gospel in edible form. Oh, kindness takes the gospel and puts skin on it. It's a person we want to talk to, a person we want to be around, and one that recognizes our human value and purpose. Fun fact, the Apostle Paul invented this word. Those who study literature and antiquity, you don't find this word showing kindness as you see it in the Bible, any other place in literature at the time. It is unique to Christianity. It's unique to the Bible. Because it was so important to the Apostle Paul. He says, I got to find a way of. And so he took the noun kindness and he turned it into a verb. Kind of like, do you remember texting? That word didn't exist a couple decades ago, didn't it? But hey, I'm going to send you a text. I'm going to send you a text. I'm going to take this. I'm going to send you this thing. And what do we do? We turn it into a verb. Hey, no texting in church. No texting at the table. The Apostle Paul says, hey, we're going to kindness each other. Let's kindness one another. The gospel calls us to kindness each other. Let's show kindness. Why? Because the Father is kind to us. You got to go upstream. If we're going to talk about flow, which means it starts with the Father and He shows kindness to us. Romans chapter 2. Didn't you know that the kindness of God leads us to repentance? Think about that. Think about that dynamic. What is it that drew you to relationship with Jesus? It's the kindness of the Father. Not his abrasiveness or cruelty or offhandedness or judgmental. No, those things don't exist. It's his kindness that drew you to a relationship with him. That's going to be important. We're going to see that play out in a little bit. Let's understand kindness starts upstream. It comes from the Father. Jesus revealed the kindness of the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In Titus chapter 3, the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. So can you let your imagination, if you will, engage a little bit? 
What do you think Jesus was like to hang around? If you sat with Jesus, if you walked with him, if you had the opportunity to see his face and his mannerisms, watch him interact with others, would he have shown kindness? I think only always, all of the time. To help us, let's look at a story. This is in Luke chapter 19. So if you could find Luke 19. I know it's not a kind voice. I'm doing the best I can. Make the mean man stop, mom. His voice scares me. In Luke 19, I want to look at this story, the first 10 verses. I, as I was reflecting on and praying over this topic for today, is, it, is there a passage, Holy Spirit and I going back and forth, is there a place where we could kind of see Jesus in kindness come out in the narrative? And this was the very first place that, that my mind went. And if you grew up in church, if you grew up in church Sunday school, you're going to hear this passage. You'll probably start singing songs in the back of your head. You're going to start doing flannel graphs on your notes because this is just one of those stories that kind of weaves its way through all Sunday school as you're growing up. If not, you've never heard it before, awesome. First time. You'll love it. Uh, Luke chapter 19. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Okay, let's note that. So Jesus is going through Jericho to get someplace else. Jesus has a schedule. He has a to-do list. He has a priority. Jericho's not on the list. It's a pass-through. Okay? I need to go through this place to get someplace else. How many of you know what that means? Okay? You understand. I don't need to stop here. I don't have time for here. I'm not scheduled for here. I'm just driving through here to get someplace else. Okay? How many of you are really good at being interrupted? How many of you are really good at, I've got a schedule, I have a list, there's a sequence that I need to go through, and I'm really good at when people mess it up? Good. I think this passage will help you. Jesus is passing through Jericho, okay? And behold, that's the scriptures right Watch this, pay attention. There was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector And was rich. Okay, maybe you're familiar a little bit with biblical times. Tax collector. A tax collector was somebody solicited and hired by the Roman Empire to impose taxes within a geographical area to raise money to send them back to the emperor and to subsidize the imperial regime. No one's fan. They're often Jews. Jews viewed them as sellouts. Jews viewed them as religiously unclean. They were not welcome in synagogue. They were not welcome at the temple. These were people who now worked for the empire. And many of them were not kind in how they treated their fellow Jews. This guy isn't just a tax collector. He's a chief tax collector, which means he was really good at being a tax collector. And so now he oversees a whole lot of tax collectors in a given region. No one's fan. And he was rich. How do you become rich? By being a tax collector. 
tax collector was expected to raise a certain dollar amount. And then he would add his fee on top of that. So he became rich by what? Exploiting his fellow brother Jews. This man is no one's fan. And it's this guy who inserts himself in Jesus' schedule. One who advocates and acts for the Roman Empire. And he was seeking to see, verse 3, who Jesus was. Not he wasn't seeking to see Jesus. Uh, he wants to know, is Jesus what he's heard about? Is Jesus everything that people have been telling? He's heard stories. He's heard rumors. Is he this healer? Is he a teacher? Is he Messiah? Zacchaeus wants to know. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. Which meant he wanted to get to Jesus, but he couldn't because people were in the way. We'll talk about that. So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. So let's engage our God-given, Holy Spirit-empowered imagination. How do you imagine Jesus saying that to Zacchaeus? If you were there with a camcorder, if you're there with your phone recording it, what's the expression on Jesus' face? What's his posture? What are his hands doing? What's his voice sound like? How do you feel Jesus engaged Zacchaeus in that moment? And this interrupted as Jesus is passing through to someplace else. I took some acting classes when I was in high school. And one of the things that they'll have you do as an exercise is you have to read a line and you have to read it in as many different ways as you possibly can. There's a lot of different ways to deliver a line. So how do we imagine that this line was delivered? Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus, get down. I have to stay at your house today. Seriously? Zacchaeus, hurry down. I got to stay at your house today. Zacchaeus, get down here. I, I want to stay at your house today. How do you imagine Jesus interacting with Zacchaeus in that moment? What voice do you hear? What's the expression? If you were Zacchaeus, how would you want Jesus engaging you? Bonnie, Rhoda, Brandon, Paul, Mary, Nathan, can I hang out with you today? You have time? I've got all day. Peter's like, we do not have all day. We're supposed to be in Jerusalem in 40 minutes and you're dilly-dying. We are going to miss our appointment. There's things to do at the synagogue. Pete, seriously? You want to talk about walking on water? Zacchaeus, can I, can we do lunch? I'd love to spend the afternoon with you. 
it's really hard for us to guess at. But maybe we can infer. Because what might tell us how Jesus responded or spoke to Zacchaeus? It might be the way that Zacchaeus responded in turn, right? Because if someone's unkind to you, what do you have a habit of doing? We're going to raise that bar, aren't we? Right? Well, how does Zacchaeus respond? So he hurried down, verse 6, and came down and received him joyfully. Joyfully. Do you receive someone joyfully who's not kind to you? No. Jump down to verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of all my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Well, we learned a little bit ago that it's kindness that calls us to repentance, right? And here we see in this passage a chief tax collector, a rich tax collector, who joyfully receives Jesus, and in Jesus, he now repents and gives back over and above and beyond. I would be okay to say that it was Jesus' kindness that led to Zacchaeus' repentance. Might we be able to say that it was Jesus' kindness in a world that wanted nothing to do with him that led to Zacchaeus' repentance? Kindness matters. But contrast that with everybody else in the story. Contrast that with the crowd. What do we see about the crowd? Verse 3, on account of the crowd, he could not. He was small in stature. Verse 7, when they saw Jesus go off, they grumbled. Those closest to Jesus made it difficult for someone else to meet him. Those closest to Jesus made it hard for others to draw near. Zacchaeus wants to get through. Zacchaeus wants to see. And he's, he's, he's bumping into people's elbows. And he's bumping into people's elbows. Can I see? Can I see? Can I see? Oh, it's, it's a tax collector. It's a tax collector. It was their unkindness. Or what the Apostle Paul would label rudeness. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul uses that very word as he goes through this list. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 and 5. Love is patient, waits patiently. We learned that last week. It shows kindness. Agape, God's love, does not envy, boast, or is arrogant. We're going to talk about those ones next week. Don't miss it. You'll love it. It'll feel great. No envying, no boasting, no arrogance. Next week. It's not rude. Like kindness, it's a very visceral, visual thing. You can see rudeness. You feel rudeness. You bump into rudeness in the way that showing kindness steps to the back of the line. Rudeness forces its way to the front. See me, notice me, it's about me. Rudeness does not care about your feelings. Rudeness does not care about your experience. Rudeness does not recognize your humanity. 
It's a me first word. And you can see it in someone's face. You can hear it in their voice. You can watch it in their hands. Kindness does this. Rudeness does this. And so here is someone who wants to see Jesus, encounter Jesus. And it was those closest to Jesus that created the wall. Agape shows kindness, not rudeness. So you can imagine for the Apostle Paul, kindness is a big deal. And you might say to yourself, really? You're making stuff up again. I don't. It's, in fact, I went through the Apostle Paul's letters and his books, and the call to kindness is in almost every single one of them. I'm not kidding. When he talks about salvation and transformation, guess what one of the telltale signs is? Kindness. Why? Because kindness is the gospel with skin on. Let me just read some to you, okay? And I'll do it kind of quickly, but just so that you can see the weight of what we're looking at. In Romans 11, we're called to continue in God's kindness. 1 Corinthians, where we're at. Agape, what does it do? It shows kindness. In 2 Corinthians 6, servants of God are commended to be kind. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, patience, kindness, goodness. It's right up there with love, joy, and peace. Love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness. The outworking of the Holy Spirit in someone's love. The flow of love produces kindness. Ephesians 4, flat-out command, be kind to one another. Colossians 3, in the same way you put off sin, you are called to put on kindness. In 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul admonishes that church because they showed him kindness. In 2 Timothy, leaders are called to be kind to everyone. How do you know that someone's a good leader? They're kind. I thought it was because they were charismatic and had a lot of followers on social media. No. No. It's someone who you can see the gospel. You see the gospel in their eyes. You hear the gospel in their voice. You can see the gospel in their hands. One more in Titus chapter 2. Women are to be known for kindness, and women are called to teach kindness to the younger women. And in this, it says the word is not reviled. So flip that around. You want to make the gospel beautiful? Be kind. And then ladies, teach the other ladies to be kind in return. It's a really big deal to him. He starts his list here. Love is patient. It's this internal posture. Okay, patiently waiting. Love is kind. The external manifestation of an internal truth. I can tell that the gospel has gripped that soul. Why? Because I can see it in their face. I can see hear it in their voice. I had a chance to see it this week as I was meeting with someone who's new to our fellowship and just hearing their story. And I could see in their face what God was doing in their life. They couldn't hide it. They couldn't mask it. Their eyes looked a certain way. Their voice responded a certain way. So let's go back to this whole bedside manner. Believers have a bedside manner. What's yours like? 
For a doctor, kindness only increases their ability to care. It doesn't compromise it. Right? Does being kind limit their ability to care for you from a medical perspective? I wish they weren't so kind and be healthier. Isn't it the other way around? Don't you have a habit of getting a little resistant when people tell you certain things because of how they deliver it? It's not what you say, it's how you say it. So can that not also be true for followers of Jesus? Your ability to be kind does not compromise the gospel. It reveals the gospel. Well, if we're, not, if we're too kind, then they're not going to confess their sins. I have a habit of disagreeing with you. Because I read in the Bible that it's kindness that calls us to repentance. I tried to think. There's about three times, three conversations where a follower of Jesus could really, it would really benefit them to be kind. How about when someone is first figuring out the gospel and hearing the message of Jesus? Isn't that a time for kindness? Eyes that are alert, a voice that is warm, a posture that's receiving. When someone's responding to the gospel, isn't that a time to put the gospel on? Another time, when someone's going through suffering and hardship, you're sitting with someone who's had a terrible week, their heart has been broken, their life is in misery. Isn't that a call to kindness? I'm so sorry to hear that. That has to be difficult. I cannot imagine. Can I pray with you? Can I just sit with you? What about confronting sin in someone's life? Isn't that a call to be kind? I have a habit of going the other way. Like when someone's being stupid, I want them to know it, that I think they're being stupid. You're a fool. Do they need that from me? No, they don't. Do they know that? They know that. In fact, the whole reason they're in front of me is because they have come to that place. But I don't, I want to go the other way. I want them, I want them to feel how much they have screwed up and how much better I am. Right? I want. I make it about me. And I have swords and axes and baseball bats in my office. And sometimes it's hard not to grab one. Because I can be really selfish. But kindness isn't about me. It's about the pass through, the flow of God's love to somebody else. And in moments where shame is almost winning, and sin is almost winning, and death is almost winning. It's the kind voice of Jesus says, hey, can we talk? Can we talk about that? I can't imagine what you're going through. But can we, have you thought about this? Jesus has such a passion and a dream and desire for you. Is it possible that what you're doing right now is getting in the way of that? 
And I'm not saying this to judge you because I have sat there and I am there. And, but by the grace of God, I go there. I just want you to know that there's life and hope and love on the other side. Might kindness help the medicine go down a whole lot easier? How can we all grow in this area? Some of you are disposed to kindness. It's, it's, it's in your mannerisms. It's in your voice. Some of you just embody kindness. Nancy is walking kindness, right, Tom? I mean, like, just, she's just a kind person. Some of you are like that. I'm not like that. I'm not. My voice does not sound kind. My voice sounds like I don't want you around. I know that. I inherited that from my dad. There's a time when it's very useful, okay? Before uh, our first worship gathering this morning, I just swung by the blasting zone. Our pre-K K classroom's getting ready to do a whole new thing. Um, and I'm excited. I just wanted to check in. And, and Yaya was a little frustrated. One of our students over in the blasting zone was having a rough morning. And Yaya was having a difficult time getting the student to engage in what they were supposed to be doing. I walked over. Hey! Time to go to class, or do I go get your dad? Got up, went right to class. It's the voice. She looked at me, she said, I hate you. I'm like, but it's, it's just the way the voice works. It's, it's, and she, she's like, we need more men in the blasting zone. I'm like, absolutely, yes. More men serving in the blasting zone. Yes, 100%. I've learned that my voice is not necessarily disposed to sounding kind. In fact, there's been years of ministry where I have done a lot of damage, not because I was being unkind, but because I was being perceived as unkind. And so for some of you, kindness, showing kindness is easy. Some of us, we're like, no, yeah, I'm with you, man. It's how do we show kindness? Some of your personalities are disposed to kindness. Some of your personalities are not. My personality is not. My personality is disposed to melancholy, end of the world gloom. I'm a prophet. Y'all gonna die? Get it together? Let's go to Jesus. <laughs> Easy. That's true. But it's kindness that calls us to repentance. Some of us struggle with kindness because we haven't dealt with our past. What do you mean? Our unwillingness or inability to deal with past trauma and difficulties and hardships makes us very resistant in difficult moments, not because we are being attacked or because it's about us, but because we're in the presence of hostility and then further trauma, we respond with harshness in return. Because we have been in survival mode for so long and kindness calls for an open vulnerability, right? It calls for an open vulnerability. Here I am, I'm with you. I'm gonna open myself up. If we don't deal with the past, we're gonna do this to everybody. And it's really hard to be kind when you're doing this. Others' kindness is difficult just because you're young in the faith. And kindness is something that we learn as we are renewed and transformed by the gospel more and more. So how can we create a culture of kindness here? If it's so important, how can we as a church family practice kindness? Kindness. 
Um, a, a child born in the 70s, grew up watching TV in the 80s, went to rent VHS tapes. How many of you rented VHS tapes? Some of you still have them, right? Yeah, you go to Blockbuster, you go to Video Mart, whatever it was, and you take out the VHS, and oftentimes you take out the VHS, and right on the top there'd be a sticker. And the sticker would say, be kind, rewind. There's my people out there, that's right. That's right, be kind, rewind. Why? Because you're so excited to see Empire Strikes Back, and you put it in there, and they didn't rewind it, and now you got to spend three minutes, and, go, and you're just watching the VCR do this, and now you're, you're furious because they didn't rewind it, because they got to the end of the movie, and they didn't rewind it. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, Right? <laughs> Henry's like, I don't know what he's talking about, Dad. And we're like, I'll tell you when we get home. So this is a VHS, and it goes in this little thing. I'm like, really? I saw that in a museum. I still have some of my VHS tapes. I have some of my VHS tapes in my first sermons. Like one sometime, I'm like, really, really? Yeah, never were ever going to watch those at all, at all. Be kind, rewind. Meaning, if I need to grow in kindness, I need to learn how to rewind. I need to learn how to reflect because this is about showing kindness. I need to create an environment where I become more and more aware of my voice, okay, of my posture, of my appearance. So one of the things I might do, I might empower someone to call me out when I appear unkind. My wife has my unkind card. She calls me out. She helps me, okay? Not that I am unkind, but I can, perceive, I can be perceived that way. I can be perceived that way. I don't want to be perceived that way. I want to, I want to be the kind of, can, how can a pastor be unkind? Like, well, I'll tell you. Uh, some of you, that wasn't a joke. Why are you laughing at me? <laughs> We've been wondering the same thing. To have someone come alongside me and say, hey, I noticed how you spoke to that person at church this morning. Did you mean to sound that way? Did you mean to say it that way? I know you didn't notice when you left, but they looked crushed afterwards. Empower someone maybe in your family. I mean, this is, i got three teenage boys. This happens all the time. Hey, can we talk about what you just did? Well, they did, no, 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 no. Well, they did, uh-uh, no. Are you allowed to talk to them that way? But no, are you allowed to talk to them that way? Was that kind? No. you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Empower someone. If you feel the Holy Spirit's kind of prompting your conscience a little bit this morning, I think this is a struggle for me. Empower someone to have conversations with you when we're not showing kindness. Um, look for ways to get to the back of the line. On the back of your notes, uh, there's a whole list in our summer challenge, how we can grow in love. And here's some this week. Okay, uh, notice someone showing kindness and, and thank them. Let, tune yourself into others that are being kind and recognize it. Hey, that was really kind. Thank you. That was really kind. 
purchase a, a bag of bulk candy and hand it out to strangers. Just be kind. Uh, I used to do this in college. Um, I would go, I went to Cedarville for my undergrad, and I'd get a big old bag of um, York peppermint patties, and I would give them out to complete strangers. Someone in the first service told me that's a lame candy, and don't do that for them. Um, <laughs> and so we confronted them and called them to the altar because that was not kind. <laughs> but what could you do just, just to practice kindness? You know, practice making eye contact when speaking with others. Follow your conscience. Maybe the Spirit's going to prompt you this week. Here's an opportunity to be kind. Ask a spiritual mentor how you can become more kind. But find ways to get to the back of the line. If you're not serving in a regular capacity, serve. It's a great way to get yourself out of the center of the world because the world's not about you. Find a way to elevate and hold up others. Kindness. Another way that maybe to help us rewind is practice repentance. Is there someone that you have been unkind to this week? Recognize that. You want a conscience that's prompted by the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit said, you know, you, you did not talk, care, minister in a kind way. You made the gospel difficult. You got in the way. Recognize that. When I said this, I apologize. No making excuses. Do not make excuses. When I said this, I could tell it hurt you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Doing so, you raise your capacity to be kind and you enable somebody else to be kind also because you help heal wounds in their own spirit and soul. And then fourthly, reflect on God's kindness to you. He has always been kind to you. When has he not been kind to you? That might help. Because the flow, you got to go upstream. If I want to grow in kindness, let me get back to the source. God, you are kind to me. Your kindness has drawn me to you. God, I remember when you said that, when you did that, the way, God, in my moment of shame and brokenness, and you wrapped yourself around me, and you didn't, you just held me. God, thank you for being kind to me. Help me be kind to others. Your love shows kindness. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. And that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.